Hello and welcome to another episode of Monster, Dear Monster. I'm one of your hosts, Dave, and I'm joined today by both Leonard and Cameron. And after 500 years of waiting, or about a year, about a year to be fair, uh, we have a guest back on the show. I have... Yeah. Look at it, a guest. After so long. It's a guest, it's a guest, (laughs) oh my gosh. We were waiting. (laughs) (laughs) it's jala from duck feeds the level yes after all of the blood sacrifices that i performed in order to to secure a new guest that's the that's the introduction you're gonna give them that after after (laughs) you know how many (laughs) he's been working on it for so long so long do you know how much blood it takes it was a it was a it was a bit much for such a (laughs) you know how much it takes how much blood it takes to summon a jala i mean come on it was a lot of blood okay it was a lot of blood so So much blood we have a guest i guess yeah there we go yes i like that that's fine it It sounded like your vocal cords got into a knife fight with the soul of vincent Lost. Well, then, lost. Then we're on brand. <laughs> but yes, yes, we have, so we, have, <laughs> we have a guest back it. on the show, and uh, Jala is here uh, to to t- discuss a a franchise that is near and dear to all children's hearts, <laughs> but maybe not our own these days. The never-ending wow. story. <laughs> <laughs> yes yep. boy i i i went into this like you know we were talking about it and i was like oh man yeah i remember the never ending story there's a couple of things i remembered about it before i rewatched it and then uh reacquainted myself with the book and all of that mess and uh those two things were i was like oh okay well there's some parts i remember some parts i remember being very sad about artex and the swant swap of sadness and all of that but then also i was like you know i always fell asleep during this movie <laughs> and then i like would wake, wake up when gamork the the wolf thing um popped out and those are the two things i remembered i remembered that i slept i fell asleep and i could not stay awake for the entire movie and then also mm. um the the scarring the emotional scarring of watching the horse drown <laughs> and that's yeah the only memories i had but i was like okay well this is probably going to be a pretty good thing it'll be good to take a look at it i know there's gonna be some problems obviously um boy <laughs> i was not prepared oh. for what i got when yeah. I, I went back and watched it <laughs> as an adult wow yeah we're all revisiting our childhood here and it's uh it's interesting well that's, um, that's what we like to do on this show is revisit yeah. childhood traumas that we've couched yeah. in in mystery and all sorts of fun nostalgia, but maybe oh, those things were wrong. Man, man. Um, in order to uh, make sure I wasn't living through a fever dream as I watched this, I did have to pause it and go Google Neverending Story cartoon, and I saw just the, the opening credits of that, and I felt such a deep psychological disturbance that it has put me <laughs> off all day. Just watching that 50-second intro to the show that I think... 
is probably part of why I am as broken as I am. <laughs> I'm not sure if I can blame it all on the never-ending story animated animated cartoon, but I'll damn well try. <laughs> well, I, I, I did well, just saw it, and I watched an entire episode of that cartoon. Uh, uh. <laughs> I I focused most of my my time on the um the first movie as well as going mm. through the book and just kind of like acquainting myself with some of the other um back information about other properties that were released and things like that. I did not have enough time to go and watch the animated show but when i was mentioning it to dave and dave was like yeah this thing and i was like okay well i i'll let you uh take that one <laughs> i'll I, I i will i will listen about those uh animated shows you'll have to tell me about those yes. well i think between all of us we may have covered everything, everything. that is uh yeah. in yeah. english <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Although I don't know if anybody got to see the HBO show, because there was apparently no. a TV show um, uh, that was yeah. Tales from the NeverEnding Story that was based on the novels that was aired on HBO. Uh, I, I did yeah. not. I didn't even look for that. <laughs> to be honest, I was just like, okay, um, I, don't, yeah. I don't know. Because it, it says it's loosely based on it. And I was like, well, I never even heard of it before I did my research. So I, I think it's safe to, to not spend my time on that one maybe hmm. I, I think it's safe to not watch that i i watched the um the trailer for it yeah and yeah it if it was it, i mean it's not hbo production but it it looks like a, a soap opera from like 85 mm. yeah it's so, super like weird vaseline lens <laughs> quality gotcha well, so so the never-ending story overall, most people probably just know it from the first movie that was released. Um, however, it is based on the novel by the same name from Michael Ende that was written in 1979. Um, and because he is German, there were some further editions, like uh, from 2003 to 2004, there were six novels by different authors <coughs> that were published under the label of uh, Legends of Fantastica that were using parts of the plot to, um, you know, tell their own stories in the world, and that was just never released in English. Um, there were also, I'm sure there's other things, like I know that there were some stage plays and stuff that were done in Germany and elsewhere, um, and ballet and opera even uh, for this. Mm. There were the animated show that we mentioned that was from 1995, and then the HBO apparently live action soap opera <laughs> in two thousand two. <laughs> so um, this is this is kind of like had that there there were video games. There was a text venture game, um, and then um, a kind of plat platformer like three D platformer game uh, as well for this. Um, so like it's it's kind of spread into a bunch of different types of media, but. Um, the one that pretty much everybody is going to know is going to be that first movie, although there were two additional movies after that. <laughs> the movies only got better with time. Like, they each improved upon what the first was laying down. Yeah, is it hard to do that? <laughs> no, they, they yeah, did not so... improve upon it. They actually made it worse each time. 
Mm. Well, the, yeah, the first movie is a terrible adaptation of the book. Um, there's a lot of reasons why. Um, first off, it only covers half of the book, so it doesn't even actually get to the, the main thrust of what the book is trying to lay down. Uh, and so to, mm. to the point that the author hated the movie and hated it so much that he wanted his name removed from the credits and to the <laughs> point that there is never going to be a remake for this movie because the rights to it are tied up in litigation that will never end. And so like there were people trying to get the rights like Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, I think it's Warner Brothers were trying to get the rights back in 2009 and they just could not do it because there was just so much legal crap around it because the author hated the movie so much. Um, the movie has no real sense of pacing. It doesn't even have very much action to it. Like, you know, I, as I said, I already, like, I was falling asleep every time I was watching this movie because it's so slow. <laughs> like, there's not any, you know, like, there's not very much by way of, um, you know, stuff for, like, a kid who's watching stuff like Indiana Jones and Star Wars and stuff to, like, get into on this movie. And, you know, there's only a tiny bit of character development. Like, all, all the characters are really flat. They read flat. Um, and, and so it's just generally not, not that great. I mean, it was, it was the highest, um, or the most expensive movie in Germany being produced at that time. So, I mean, it had a lot of money being poured into it, but boy, <laughs> it just, hmm. I don't know. Um, what do you guys think about the first movie? The, the one that everybody knows. Um, I I think we we absolutely cannot discuss this movie without acknowledging that the Neverending Story is clearly a prequel to uh, Tim Burton's adaptation of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, um, <laughs> Bastian is absolutely one of the naughty, terrible kids because although in the movie he's he's less terrible. In the book, he's he's less he's sl he is less terrible in the movie than he is in the book. Oh my god! In the book, I just want to kill him. I, I, <laughs> like, I to, just hate I him. To, I have to point out yes. that clearly, uh, Oompa Loompa Land is adjacent to Fantasia <laughs> since yeah, uh, since one uh, Deep Roy who played all of the Oompa Loompas <laughs> in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Is also Teensy Incy, the snail mm. rider from yes. the Neverending Story. Yes. yes. Mm. Thus proving that Willy Wonka broke into Fantasia, <laughs> kidnapped the snail rider, <laughs> and enslaved and enslaved him and all of his people who apparently all look like him. So yes. <laughs> um, the real deep lore. It's 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 unconscionable that that we we discuss the never-ending story without addressing this uh this does does that mean there's a missing scene from willy wonka where one of the children gets eaten by a werewolf yes um i i want to i want to imagine that that the, the that that's what the furnace actually is it's uh, just a, it's just, just a, a pit, in there just a, just a pit of gourds gourds um, it's it's just a shoot uh, to the no, thing. but to, to to be to be perfectly honest about uh the never ending story uh i was uh thinking about it because i had 
haven't watched this movie in like over a decade and a half. Mm. And I just remember like, man, like my memory of this movie is like really weird and disjointed and like there's not not a lot of flow <laughs> and then I start watching it. And I'm like, oh no, it's just because that's the that's the movie. That's how the movie it's just, is. It's yeah. Just yeah. Hard cut to like, man. Mm. I well, and and the thing about it was, I like, I, it, I don't think I've ever wa- walked away from from a a movie from my childhood and said to myself, "Yeah, sure, I'd be cool if they remade this because you know <laughs> uh, this is like the suboptimal version of of this, <laughs> and the only thing that was holding it together when I was a kid was that it had some pretty." great production value and visual design and was at least interesting to look at for yeah. most of the time. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I was just like, Hmm, I, I, I guess I, this was a movie that I rented and fast forwarded to all the parts <laughs> of interest and then was cool after first. Year. Mm. Well, the, to be fair, the movie itself actually fast forwards through a lot of the stuff that would have been cool to talk about. Like there's yep. like mm. several montages where it's like, here's, here's a Treyu writing our text through all of these different sceneries and um but this is actually also you know skipped over in the book in the book too they're also like oh well and then he did these things in these places and he fought this thing but that's another story and will be told at another time ah like every time i saw that it was just that particular line in the book was always like um anytime something was interesting that's what would happen. It would just be like, but that's another story. It'll be told at another time. And then it's never brought up again. And there was never another book written by Michael Enda about these things. And so mm. it was just dismissed. And it was yeah. terrible. But like the movie is actually fairly faithful to the book in that way. The only problem is that it doesn't <laughs> pick up the rest of the story, you know, that that goes anywhere. But I'll I'll leave my... um thoughts about the book <laughs> to a separate time <laughs> the, the movie though boy i the, with the swamps of sadness i was just so traumatized as a kid and when i'm watching this mm. again i'm just like that happens in the first 15 minutes you don't have any time to feel anything <laughs> about artax or you know yeah. his relationship with atreyu and in the book artax talks and he doesn't talk in the movie he's just like a horse mm. and yeah. He drowns in the swamp. And it took them like two months to to record that scene because they had two horses uh, for Artax and they had to basically teach the horse how to drown. <laughs> so oh, everybody who was recording the movie <laughs> hated it as well because like it yeah. just took so long to get that done. But boy, I went back and I'm like, I Artax is drowning. And I'm like, I feel nothing. <laughs> like I'm just, I'm just waiting for it to be over and we can just like move on. I just had this concept as a kid that this was mm. so trauma, you know, traumatizing. But I think it's just because as a child, if you see somebody else crying or you see, you hear the dramatic music because they have some really dramatic mm. music at that point. Um, you know, then you're just like triggered, you know, <laughs> I think yeah. I was just triggered. They just like suckered, <laughs> suckered me into feeling things and having trauma for the rest of my life about horses drowning in, in swamps. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it's an interesting movie. Similarly, I thought I had a lot of childhood tra- trauma about the horse drowning in the swamp. Um, 
And then having watched the movie earlier today, I rediscovered the fact that all my childhood trauma is in fact directly related to Bark Troll from the um, <laughs> animated cartoon <laughs> and nothing else. Apparently it's Bark Troll and a little bit of Falcor is what really got to me as a kid. And I don't know, I watched that show so much. And yet I, even at the time, it disturbed me. I had bad dreams. But I kept going back and watching it. And I still don't know why I did that. <laughs> but there's just some, something about that troll. Like, that troll shows up in the start of the intro, and I saw it, my whole body just tensed up. I'm like, oh, this is it. This is what was wrong with me as a child. <laughs> it's like, but the movie's fine. The movie's just kind of weird and really difficult to follow. And I don't yeah. understand half of what's going on because that's a story for another time. Um, right. I will say, the score, the score's pretty good. They got some good dramatic mm-hmm. music in there. I enjoyed yeah. that. Um, I like the design of the Falcor puppet. We can go into how much we dislike the emoting of the Falcor puppet. <laughs> yes, but... yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, my favorite character from the entire movie, my MVP is the rock biter. Because oh, yes. the one thing that they did that in the movie that was not in the book is that uh, okay, so the rock biter uh, is in the beginning of the movie. He's one of the emissaries to the childlike empress. Well, uh, later in the movie, when the nothing is coming, um, the rock biter comes across Atreyu and he's like, they seem like such strong hands. And he's talking about how like the nothing came and then took the tiny and the bat and the night hob. And, you know, he couldn't hold on to them. And like, there was just this moment of pathos that is not in the book and it's like the Mm. only real character development the only real you know anything for any any character in the movie and i was just like the rock biter he's like Mm. he's my favorite in this whole thing it's he's amazing (laughs) (laughs) so uh but the the falcor emotes okay so yes um (laughs) when i was a small child i did not trust falcor at all i thought he looked like a child molester (laughs) Uh, i was just like he is too creepy he is the way he's talking like the the tone of his voice and the way he's talking to atreyu is very creepy to me he keeps winking Mm. his tongue is all hanging out and a lot of the things he says sound like double entendres it's really like flag Mm. lots of red flags going up everywhere and i'm just like okay Granted, when I was a child, I was also terrified of Ronald McDonald because I thought that he was going to steal me and put me in his big, big pockets and steal me. And so, like, my parents told me not to talk to strangers, but then they told me to go talk to Ronald McDonald. And I'm like, no, he's a creepy man with some large pockets and I'm a small child and I don't, I do not trust. Why would you do this to me? You told me not to talk to strangers. This is a strange man. If you can't get much stranger than this man, I don't want to go talk to him so you know so this is this is me i already had my red flags up and i was not gonna get kidnapped by any weird creepy and so Mm. like falcor was very red flag for me i was like no i i've never liked falcor i never trusted him so that's 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 my very strong reaction to falcor i I do not like do not like (laughs) yeah yeah it's a shame because it's a really beautifully done puppet like it's really nice it it's strong in the face department like you can see all the features clearly they all move decently well and then it just winks at you and you could you could fit your head inside its mouth and i think that's a qualification for not trusting something as well (laughs) um uh yeah no it's it's i agree on i agree on luck dragons are creepy and i don't like them (laughs) 
Well, the, it took 25 puppeteers to animate oh, Falcor, gosh. so they had that many people working on that. And it is, like, there's two different Falcor puppets, and there's one that's available in Germany. If you want to go creep yourself out and go take pictures writing it, like, you can do that. It's a thing that can mm. be done. And that's very upsetting to me. Like, I don't I don't want to get anywhere near the, the puppet of this creepy thing. But it's that's it's available right. for the people who are enchanted with Falcor for some reason. So... Mm. So mm. that that's there for you guys. <laughs> I'll I'll have to go look it up because uh, when when I lived in Germany, there actually it, it, the, the theme park may have been in the Netherlands. I don't recall, but um, there is definitely a theme park called Fantasia Land, and it looks kind oh, of really? like some of this stuff. Um, so I I don't think I made a connection at the time, but I'll have to check on that. Um, all I do remember is there were specifically. Uh, all of the trash cans um, had mm. like voice activated or a motion sensor, not voice activated motion sensor. So when you th- when you got close or were gonna go throw trash and do it, it tells you to put the paper in there. Um, but it's in like a weird troll voice because they have um, their the sculpt- troll. They're sculpted, <laughs> yeah, they're like sculpted cans with like troll things sitting on them mm. that tell you that, that it's their mouth and you're supposed to stick paper or whatever the trash is into their mouth um, <laughs> that's very upsetting <laughs> like, yeah, that's yeah, also upsetting like, thinking back on it, it probably was frightening although oh, i thought it was okay. just whimsical at the time but it's maybe upsetting mm. <laughs> okay I, I i i had to i had to just go through the the logical through line of the <clears throat> the the voice activated trash can um, that didn't exist that you you just flubbed. I, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm just like, oh man, like, what do you have to do? Do you have to say like, hey, trash can, tell me how much you want my trash? <laughs> yeah. Before you can. <laughs> do you want this? <laughs> yeah. Do you want this garbage? <laughs> garbage can. Did you drop the golden garbage or the silver garbage? <sighs> And I'm just like, oh man, this is how this is how the Matrix happens when you <laughs> you create a create a machine specifically to throw trash at you that you beg to acknowledge it. Yes, um, and it, it and grows up. <laughs> and there's there's also a part of me that desperately hopes that this Fantasia Land is still uh, still operating, and that uh, there is a a stage show. Of the never-ending story, and that they licensed out uh, uh, "Say My Name" for the ending. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Leonard, I want to know it's, what you think about. It is Falcor. in Germany. I did have to go look. It oh, up. what do yeah. I think about Falcor? Tell I don't about think Falcor. about Falcor. Falcor <laughs> is just like, like man, I really, I really like that puppet, but like the entire time in the movie, I was just like. Mm. Oh, hey, thing that literally removes all the stakes because you are literally <laughs> the stat that can just make anything happen. You're just a mm. you're you're up you're up a flying stat booster, and, yeah. and now there are no stakes, <laughs> and now there are no stakes because literally you're 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 you just all you do is affect probability. Oh no! Mm. Ooh, you lost it. Oh, I just found it. I'm a luck dragon. I can just make anything happen. And I'm right? just like, ugh. He's, 
Yeah, uh, he's he's definitely so so that's something. Um in the book there were two scenes that were left out of the movie that actually make Falcor make a little bit more sense and make him seem a little bit less um uh I don't know, Deus ex, ex machina because that's really what he is in the movie. He just kind of comes out of nowhere and you're like, "Where the hell did he come from and why why is this happening?" Um so there's two critical scenes that were left out and these are part of what Michael Enda was pissed about. Um Yigramul the Many is a um, very interesting villain character that is basically a giant spider made out of a swarm of hornet-looking type things. And mm-hmm. it in its web, it has Falcor. And Atreyu comes across Yigramul the Many and saves Falcor from uh, Yigramul, which is how Falcor comes into play at all, uh, is that he is actually saved by Atreyu. Um, so, therefore, Falcor coming across Atreyu and then also deciding to help Atreyu makes a lot more sense in the book for that reason. But also, um, Yigrimul respects Orin, the symbol that um, you know shows the power of the childlike empress, and respects the childlike empress um, because in the book, it's emphasized that the childlike em- empress is um, accepting of everybody as they are, including evil beings and things like that. And so it kind of emphasizes the whole overall point of balance being, you know, what you're seeking, uh, generally speaking. And like the moral of the story of the overall book is balance. Like Bastion is either in his own world, feeling miserable, or 120% in the book, but he's not finding a a happy medium between fantasy and reality, and that's, like, his biggest problem throughout everything. Mm -hmm. And he remains profoundly unlikable throughout the entire book, and and any media that I've come across, and I've seen Bastion, I just don't like him. But, um, anyway, uh, that point was left out, and so Falcor just kind of flies out of the clouds for no reason and comes and saves Atreyu and is totally deus ex machina in the movie. Uh, (laughs) Another thing is that uh, the wind giants, there was a scene in the book where there are some wind giants that Atreyu and Falcor go to see, um, specifically to see if the wind giants could tell them where the end of Fantasia is, because they have to find a human child, but they were told the human child cannot be found in Fantasia itself. The human child is outside of Fantasia, so they're looking for the end of Fantasia to go, you know, get this child. Um, they find out from the Wind Giants, there is no end of Fantasia, so your quest is useless. <laughs> and in the middle of that, like, they're also having a battle between all of them together, uh, and then this causes Atreyu to fall off of Falcor. Um, whereas in the movie, mm. I think it's just like a storm happens, and for some mm. reason, Atreyu just falls off for no reason at all and just kind of ends up on a beach and it's fine yeah but it was it was nothing turbulence they hit a patch of nothing turbulence <laughs> yeah and, and atreyu oh. did not uh secure his uh what i can only imagine is a seat belt made out of fur and scales yeah uh, and was tossed asunder into yeah. the uh. into the water below <laughs> And then he woke up on the beach, and we got it. This never-ending story, a Hideo Kojima game. Um, <laughs> I just realized how much that beach looks like a Death Stranding beach, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, so, 
Yeah, well, in yeah, basically in the book, Falcor is a luck dragon, but he doesn't play up as much of a Deus Ex Machina the way that mm. he does in the movie. And like his part in the rest of the remaining part of the book is not such that he's always affecting everything and making everything turn out perfectly. That doesn't happen in the book. Um, yeah. So, like, you know, he, he doesn't have quite as much um, power or influence in the book as he does in the movie. But also his part makes so much more sense in the book. So, like, you know, I, I dislike him yeah. less in, in the book than I do in the movie. In the movie, I'm just like, oh, well, then this is just, all right, whatever. Um, of course. Why not? Like, they had to make it mm. work somehow, right? You know? Oh, man. I... I I just imagined like a a deleted scene where Treyu's like, so how does it work? So how does the luck dragon work? And Falcor's just, well, you see, Atreyu, there I can't like the good luck only only affects you, but it has <laughs> the bad luck has to be transferred onto somebody else. So every time you don't die, somebody in Fantasia just randomly does. Yeah. That would yeah, actually be nothing. That would actually be way cooler. And it would also honestly, that would actually play more into the book's theming of balance. Yeah. Because mm. in the book um, every time Bastion uses a wish, like he gets his wishes at the end of the, the movie. Well, he yeah. gets his wishes. He's in Fantasia. And, um, first off, like Bastion, his, his body in the book, he is a fat bow-legged child, uh, who is also, has also been held back at school and all different kinds of stuff. So he's just kind of, you know, like, um, Michael yeah. Endo was trying to make him like the most pitiable character, right? Mm. Um, and he, as soon as he gets to Fantasia, he wishes himself to be handsome, he wishes himself to be strong, and all this other stuff. But as he keeps doing all of this wishing, he loses all of his memories piece by piece. And so part of the point of the book is that Atreyu is noticing that as Bastion keeps making wishes and, and making Fantasia grow and do all this other stuff, some of the wishes don't turn out just right. And then, you know, like sometimes Bastion thinks, oh man, I shouldn't have made that wish because now this is a problem that's caused by mm. this wish that I made um, or things like that. But Atreyu is also noticing he's losing himself. He's losing parts of himself and he's not remembering how he was before, where he came from, any of that mess. He thinks that he's always been like this. He thinks, you know, all this other stuff. And then um, Bastion ends up becoming like super, super haughty and, you know, just like a terrible, completely intolerable child. <laughs> and like, you know, Atreyu, like, boy, I feel so bad for the character of Atreyu because in the book, basically Atreyu tries to look out for Bastion is treated like shit by Bastion the entire time and then um, ends up having to raise an army when Bastion is ensorcelled by an evil sorceress that's trying to manipulate him and um, ends up fighting against other Fantasticans um, to try to save Bastion and gets wounded, severely wounded by, by Bastion. I think he... I, I remember him being killed, actually, uh, and then just, like, um, coming back by a wish or something. But at the very, very end of the book, uh, Bastion only has two memories left. One of his father, which he sacrifices to figure out, you know, what his true desire is. Uh, and then the memory of his name. And, like, 
the memory or that his true desire that he sacrifices the memory of his father for is to love people and to be loved by people. <laughs> and then like in order to get back home, he has to like there's there's other adventures and like you know whatever going on with that but basically um atreyu has to call out his name and has to promise to finish all of the stories bastian started in fantastica on his behalf so that bastian can go back home to the human realm so atreyu's left holding the piss bucket after being killed by bastian after trying to like after being treated like a redheaded stepchild the entire time by bastian who is a complete crappy terrible terrible child so that bastian can go back home and be fine and I was just so mad by the end of the book. I was like, I hate Bastion. I hate so, him. So, so for you, Bastion's OC. I, I, yes. I think yeah. this is, that's pretty par for the course yes. for the fan fiction that I've read over the years. This, <laughs> this, this rings true, Jala, I, yes. I, I have to say. <laughs> the, yes, it must be if the fan fiction is, is saying it. I mean, yeah. It was the never-ending story, the prediction of fan fiction. Fiction culture in this <laughs> millennium. It's right. the original Isekai. Well, I mean, like, that. it leaves it. Oh, it the book itself yes, encourages sir. it because it says that is another story that should be told at another time but was not told by the original author. So it is leaving it open for everybody to write their own fan fiction. Even the way the book ends. Basically, Bastian, when he goes back home, he reconciles with his father, uh, talks to Coriander, the dude who had the book in the first place, and says, I stole it and I lost it, I'm sorry. And then Coriander says, oh, well, it probably went to somebody else who needs it and you have to guide them and so on. And then it says, but that is another story and shall be told in another time. Ending. <laughs> ah! <laughs> I, I, that, okay, first, who was Coriander? No, there is no Coriander. There is just old man smoking in bookstore. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and secondly, I like the idea of now it's your turn to guide them. And, yeah. and, it's just, and it just turns into the ending of Fatal Frame 2 Crimson Butterfly. <laughs> Bastion oh, slowly wraps his hands around Coriander's neck. And after the life has ebbed out of him takes his place on his chair in his abandoned oh bookshop. <laughs> this is my... Oh, my, did, 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 did From Software still the idea of Bloodborne from this made-up ending of the never-ending story? Well, I'll you know what? I, I, I like your ending a lot better than I like the way the book ends, so this is my new canon. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> So, Dave, Dave, you have been very quiet, Dave. Tell me about Fantastica and and all of this. <laughs> yeah, Fantastica. I got <coughs> the notes. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, I, I, I have pulled up, as I like to do, um, segments of the book. So, this is... Uh, in the film, we get pretty much all of the necessary, or... The, a chunk of the necessary exposition um, from Gamork when he's talking to Atreyu. Like he's, he gives us the lowdown of what is going on because nobody else really bothers to do that. Um, the childlike empress just sends people off on things that she already knows the outcome of. Atreyu is basically doing a fetch quest for no reason. Um, 
but Gamork has has something else to say. So here's his his encounter in the book. When it comes to controlling human beings, there is no better instrument than lies. Because, you see, humans live by beliefs, and beliefs can be manipulated. The power to manipulate beliefs is the only thing that counts. That's why I sided with the powerful and served them, because I wanted to share their power. When your turn comes to jump into the nothing, you too will be a nameless servant of power with no will of your own. Who knows what use they will make of you? Maybe you'll help them persuade people to buy things they don't need, <laughs> or hate things they know nothing <laughs> about, or hold beliefs that make them easy to handle, or doubt the truths that might save them. Yes, you little fantastic and big things will be done in the human world with your help. Wars started, empires founded. The human world is full of weak-minded people who think they're as clever as can be and are convinced that it's terribly important to persuade even the children that Fantastica doesn't exist. Maybe they will be able to make good use of you. So the the context for that is uh, the, the nothing... We, we skipped this bit. The nothing is um, consuming uh, Fantasia or Fantastica. And it, it it's, it's very present... Um, sucks out i guess the the will of the fantasticans to to exist and they they kind of lemming themselves into it and just jump into the nothing uh, but the side effect of that or the ultimate effect of that is that ends up transporting them into the human world uh, however when they make the transition because this is uh this is the bad way to get to back and forth between Fantasia and the human world, they become uh, something other than themselves. And in this case, when they're sucked into the nothing, they become lies and um, delusions, uh, all sorts of things to like trouble and beguile people. Um, and that's to the benefit of some unknown force outside of both the human world, because there's, there's other worlds besides just Fantastica and the human one. Uh, and that's, Another aspect of Gmork, um, in the, in the book, he is specifically a werewolf, uh, one that mm. sort of treads between the worlds. And when he's in the human world, he's a human. And then when he's in Fantastica, he's the giant wolf. Yeah. And, um, that definitely is like a very, very important point that was not brought up in the movie, but again, is kind of a very important part of the, book because in the book um you know it's basically a war between people coming up with positive fantasy if you will uh via via like bastian coming up with stories for fantastica um versus the lies that come out when you know um the fantasticans jump into the nothing uh which also can translate into like, because the nothing will come and um, take over Fantastica when the humans stop believing in Fantastica is is part of it. Um, and that kind of perpetuates lies and stuff in the human world. And just kind of, uh, you might, you might want to consider it, at least the way that I, I read it, is that um, without having imagination and stories and things like that, humans kind of um become dead inside and that's where the nothing comes from is is the way that i read that just because that that makes sense to what else the author is doing um mm. but yeah like 
it it's never explained in the movie. Uh, another interesting thing is that Atreyu kills Gamork in the movie, but in the book he just kind of died on his own after explaining mm. everything because his time was just about up, and he he wasn't just like hanging out, con- you know, conveniently in this spot. He actually had been chained there by a dark princess or something uh, who jumped in, like the dark princess. And that whole storyline sounded interesting, but that was another story for another time that was not uh, recorded in the book. Um, and she jumps into the nothing after chaining up Gamork and saying, well, you know, the only person who can undo these chains is me. Goodbye. I'm jumping into the nothing now. Ha ha. And so he dies basically because he's been chained up and starved and whatever. So he's just basically slowly starving to death when he finds Atreyu and stuff. But anyway. And, and, so, and. And and now that you've you've given you've given the the lore description of that Dark Souls area, <laughs> might I give you the name of that Dark Souls area, which is the Desert of Shattered Hopes? Yep. <laughs> Once again, reaffirming my my conviction that From Software has just scrolled through all of our fantasy films from our childhood to come up with naming conventions, visuals. And plot points for all of their games. (laughs) Well, and when I was going through this movie, too, um, you guys, I do not believe, uh, other than Dave, I know he's seen it. um, You guys do not know the movie The Flight of Dragons. But that is a movie that is near and dear to my heart that eventually, you know, like, I'm going to have to talk about. But um, there's a lot of what Gamork says that just floored me because i'm like did they just lift this from the flight of dragons like when was this made versus the flight of dragons because this sounds exactly like the flight of dragons plot line some of the stuff that gamork is talking about so um there's there's definitely some overlap in media even at the time of other stuff that was in the fantasy oeuvre at the time I, 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 it's, it's once again, doing all of these like back, like not technically back to back, but essentially back to back episodes on all of this old childhood media. I'm just like, oh, wow. Yeah. I'll just, just kind of prime the pump for like (laughs) 30 years later when I'm like, oh man, I can't wait to eat that umbilical cord and figure out what's going on in this town. (laughs) I'm just like, oh, geez, thanks. Thanks, Return to Oz. Thanks, Little Nemo. (laughs) Thanks, NeverEnding Story. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, another thing, um, Dave. Did you want to talk about the half dissolved trolls? Those were really good. Um, I, I actually I have pulled up prior to that the luck dragon bit because this was also oh, okay. important. Okay. Uh, yes. So here is the the entry on luck dragons. Luck dragons, as we know, are creatures of air and fire. Not only is the liquid element alien to them, it is also their enemy. Water can extinguish them like a flame, or it can asphyxiate them, for they never stop breathing in the air through their thousand of pearly scales. I hate it. Uh, They feed on air and heat and require no other nourishment, but without air and heat, they can only live a short time. Falcor didn't know what to do. He didn't even know what strange, what the strange blinking under the sea was, or whether it had anything to do with the Treyu. This is him uh, looking for a Treyu and then finding um, Orin, which was in the sea. Yeah, but uh, it's it's like risky for him to go diving into the sea to go get it because it would theoretically kill him. Right. Yes. Which is not explained in the movie. But... No. Nope. <laughs> nope. We didn't. We did not get that. 
Well, and then too, um, Oren calls for him in the book, and that is how he finds it. There's also like a big shining light that he follows to find it, and that's not part of the movie either. Like, because I was just always, always since I was a child, I was like, how did he know where it was underneath the ocean randomly? You know, well, it was actually uh, like it was homing beaconing and stuff, but mm. oh well. <laughs> yeah. Um... But, I, I, I now now learning that this this information about luck dragons, I desperately want to watch like Falcor curl around some evil entity and literally just suck the heat out of out of it. <laughs> just like up oh, and now instant entropy. Oh, yeah, the, oh, oh god, no, nope. that would be that's fun. how he restores his luck stores. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he has to take it from he gets somewhere. So, yeah. Yeah, he has yeah, to, yeah. He's so lucky. <laughs> I like that. Cut. You should be writing the never ending story. Screw this. <laughs> cut, cut, cut to a thousand years later. Uh Falcor's established his laboratory where he's siphoning the luck out of <laughs> Just turn Falcor into Seath and be done with it. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> yeah I yeah. want that mod let's see that mod <laughs> actually I don't want that because that would mean the trees in Dark Root would all be the bark troll and I <laughs> speaking, um. yeah, speaking about trolls Dave tell us about the trolls that's a part yes. really really yes. is yeah. good so the, so the other um, the other the sweet trolls not the bark trolls although I think these technically are also bark trolls um I, I don't have that one pulled up, but I do remember it. Uh, it has it has a good ending for Cameron, though. Mm. Yes. <laughs> uh, so the, these uh, particular set of trolls, um, I, believe, I think they're in the swamps of sadness. Now that I've tried no, to recall, they're they're. I think they're in the forest after he's left the swamps, the swamps. and he's yeah. he's he's mm. finished talking to Morla, and he's on his way. To wherever he has not come across Yigarumal the many to get Falcor no, yet, he's, but he's, he's going trying to through. figure out how to get to the Southern Oracle. Yes, and then he's going through a forest, and he comes across these trolls, but they're half dissolved by the nothing. So there's like one missing an arm, or like whatever large yeah. chunks. One of has them a huge hole missing. in its center of its body, and I think one's missing yeah. part of its face. One of them is just half of a troll. I think it's just an arm, leg, and half of a face. Um, they, they were napping and then nothing started snacking on them. And now they're just, well, they're just wandering the forest. Because the, the trolls here are, um, you can mistake them for, they're like ants. You could completely just mm. mistake them for a huge tree because they can just blend in with the rest of the forest. So yes, but, but the bark troll, just bigger and less annoyingly stupid versions of it. <laughs> Yeah, he was bad. I, yeah. I, I, just that well, first episode, yeah. I was like, "Oh no, uh, he's an idiot." I really don't like him. He's yeah. real dumb. Yeah. <laughs> well, so they come across a Treyu, and a Treyu is like, "What happened to you?" And they're like, "The nothing." And he's like, "Does it hurt?" And they're like, "No, I don't feel anything." And soon, you know, <laughs> like basically, what has happened to them is the nothing has gotten a, a nibble of them, but the nothing will mm. keep growing in them until they completely disappear. And so um, they're talking to Atreyu and they're like, do you want to see what the nothing looks like? And they, they tell him, okay, here, go up in this tree and you'll see the nothing over there. And then that's when Atreyu first gets his first look at what the nothing mm -hmm. is. And 
he's just like, oh my god, terrifying. And then by the time he gets back down the tree, the trolls are gone. They have been absorbed by the nothing by that point. And that's the end of them. But, like, it was a really poignant moment because, you know, like, when they're absorbed by the nothing, they just stop caring. And, you know, kind of how Dave was saying, eventually, you know, they lemming by jumping into the nothing. But in this case, the nothing is kind of like a virus and just consumed them. So Yeah, yeah. you can't have let it touch you. It just eats everything. Yes. Which it, it eventually does. All of Fantasia is gone, aside from literally like the childlike empress and the one remaining grain of sand of of uh fantastica that's left yeah <laughs> the childlike empress or as i like to refer to her lady king seeker fromp <laughs> <laughs> well, i knew what- everything from the beginning I knew what you had to do. <laughs> well, for me, visually, the Child Life Empress reminds me very, very much of Princess Emrod from Magic Knight Ray Earth. Because Princess Emrod is also blonde, is also a child, is also like, you know, the pillar of her world, the way that the Child Life Empress is kind of the pillar of Fantastica. And um, also in a flower. <laughs> also in mm-hmm. all white. I mean, like, visually, she looks a lot like... Um, Magic Knight Ray Earth's Princess Emerald. So that was just like, wow, that I, I never drew that distinction before now. But yeah, that's definitely a thing. So. Mm. And she like lounges. She lounges on the pillows. <laughs> <laughs> they don't get up. They don't have to get up and do much. Well, um, oh, so in, in this, I think I still have it. Uh, well, I don't have it specifically at least immediately at hand, but um, a- as people have their like their their senses or um, any kind of innate uh, talents, uh, the childlike empress has her her. I believe it's they're just there's seven. I forgot what they're called. They're they're basically like bodyguards, and they'll just they can do anything, and they're invisible. And they they carry her across the land because ultimately she has to go um, find uh, it's the old old man of the mountain I believe is his name yes it's the old man of wandering mm-hmm. mountain yes um, and so he that because everything has a balance to it um, the the old man is the other side of the coin um, whereas uh, the childlike empress is eternally young. Um, he is eternally old, um, so old, old that like his wrinkles and everything, his eyes are receded so far into his head, like you can't see them. Um, but he is the chronicler, the un- unwilling, the fated chronicler of the the never ending story, the book. So he's just basically writing everything as it occurs, um, and has no choice. So he's just basically yeah. just chained and- up writing a thing forever and i have to i have to put a pin in that just to explain the reason why she has to go in the book to the old man of wandering mountain is because atreyu gets back to her you know because the only thing left is is the childlike empress um and she he's like i failed you i never got to find the human and then she says but he was here all along you know just like they do in the movie except when she says he just has to give me my name bastion is like, what if I'm not really the person they're talking about? And he doesn't do it. <laughs> and so, yeah. like, instead of, like, in the movie where he says the name, he screams it off into the void. Um, instead, he 
doesn't do anything. And so she's like, well, then I'm going to have to force his hand. And she goes to this old man of Wandering Mountain. And I'll let you uh, continue from here, Dave, on that. And uh, so right before that, um, this is the excerpt. So um, this is where Atreyu is. He meets back up with her after he's finished his quest and to give her the news um, that he failed because he obviously didn't bring back um, a human child. And then he's upset with her uh, because she says she knew it all in advance. And so here's his bit. Um, How can you know all that? Uh, The cry by the deep chasm and the image in the magic mirror. Did you arrange it all in advance? The childlike empress picked up Orin and said, while putting the chain around her neck, didn't you wear the gem the whole time? Didn't you know that through it I was always with you? Not always, said Atreyu. I lost it. Yes. Then you were really alone. Tell me what happened to you then. And then he then he told her his story. So her, she is the heart of Fantasia, but she's not omnipotent. Like she has to have, that, that Orin I think is is far away wherever it's at she can see but that's a limited like view uh, and the rest of it is going to be what um it's not given so she is basically set to like never be able to meet um the old man like you you can't you can't go looking for him but you can find him ah, like if you're okay. trying to find him it's not going to happen yep but you can just kind of bump into him somewhere so that's that's her thing. Yeah. She she goes on a quest to go find him, but she has to kind of randomly wander. So she has her she's like in a palanquin and has her um, invisible guards like just carry her across all of uh, Fantasia. She just tells him just just start walking. We'll <laughs> we'll find him eventually. <clears throat> and when when she finally gets to Wandering Mountain, it's kind of great because she gets off the palanquin and she starts, you know, walking and like because she's barefoot, her feet are starting to break up and get all, you know, bloody and everything. And there's all these signs on the mountain that are like, turn away, don't stop coming this way. You know, like, don't do the thing, you know, childlike empress, we know you're trying to come for us, don't do it. You know, um, mm-hmm. all the way up the mountain while while she's trying to do this. And I just, again, I want to throttle Bastion because he's sitting here you know, reading this and just going like, whoa, no, poor childlike empress, but I'm not gonna, you know, all he has to do is say, there's no, st- okay, the thing that makes me so mad about that, there's no stake, you know, nothing at stake for him if he says the name of the childlike empress and then he's wrong. All that happens is yeah. he said a word, you know, so it doesn't mm-hmm. make any damn sense for him to be so hesitant to say it you know, in the first place. So this whole part made me very frustrated for that reason. But anyway, so yeah, the, the one thing that, well, the, there's several things holding him back. He, there's a, he kind of grouses on his self-confidence, but the, the larger part for him was the childlike empress. When she's talking to Atreyu says that, um, all Bastion has to do, or all the human child has to do is, is say her new name. Uh, mm. But when he does so, he will arrive in Fantastica. Oh, and, okay. I didn't, and, and I didn't get that. So part, Bastion, but, yeah. he's he he's like, I don't know if it's me, but he's like, I I can't I can't meet her because I obviously can't um, live up to the standards of like this great hero. Like he's like he looks down at himself and he's like, I'm I'm this like out of shape portly child, and I can't I don't look the part of a hero. 
So I don't want to say it right now because I, I, I don't want to disappoint her. I remember that part now. And that actually is like the one, one point in the entire book where I actually felt empathy for Bastion because when I was younger, I was a chubby acne scarred child, you know, who was Mm -hmm. at one point anyway, um, very introverted and bookish. And so like, I could totally empathize with that, um, and I was like, ah, oh, man, you know, but then after that, he just becomes a terrible nightmare child. And then I just hate him. And I stop caring about him anymore after that. But yeah, I, I remember that part. <laughs> you can, I mean, it, it happens immediately because so when she, when she goes to meet the old man, um, the other really cool part is the old man is in like this egg, this ginormous egg on the mountain. And the, a, a portal opens up and a ladder comes out, but the ladder is, is the, the rungs of the ladder are made up of letters and it's warnings to uh, the, the childlike empress to like that. She cannot be there. She should, they can never meet. Um, and to do so would like doom uh, Fantastica even, even further than it already is. But the, it's like the sentences and she's reading them as she's climbing it. And it's like cutting her hands and feet. Because they're just sharp words. Um, that part was like really evocative. Like that, that was really well done. And then, of course, she meets him and finds out that, um, <coughs> or her her gambit really is to get the old man to to read her the ending of the story, but he can't because it's not written yet. Uh, but what he can do is r- read the story from the beginning, and that's a. Um, like a causality time trap thing. So if he start <laughs> if he starts reading it, it's just going to loop like forever. And it does. It 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 loops multiple times. So Bastion's sitting there reading the thing, watching this happen over and over and over and he's still like oh, it does. Uh, I'm not going to do and anything. He, and he I, yeah, it, and he refuses <laughs> to link the first flame. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Pretty much. The cycle is just continuing. And yeah, and that's the thing that just like frustrated the hell out of me because I was like, okay, even if you are self-conscious and stuff, I understand for the first bit, but once once the childlike empress is like, you know, hurting herself trying to get to this old man and like basically force your hand by, you know, forcing this time loop to make you you know, to, to basically, she's doing it to force Bastion to have to say her name because otherwise it's just fated to repeat forever. Well, it catches and, him in it too. Yeah, and it catches right. him because mm-hmm. he's stuck in the middle of it because he is part of the never-ending story also. So all of his stuff starts replaying over and over again as well. So uh, in that we- way, it's weird because mm-hmm. it's kind of like Steinsgate, the video game in the anime. Steinsgate, which is in a time <laughs> loop because it involves him. Um, and then he has memory of it looping, you know? So that's that's kind of interesting. I, I, I'd like to imagine that that uh working under under the revised uh the revised luck dragon rules that every time the story loops <laughs> some random some different random person in Fantasia dies every time uh Falcor uses <laughs> so right. when the when the the myriad of cycles are over everyone in Fantasia has died at least once <laughs> and remembers <Yeah>. it. <laughs> oh oh man that would that oh. what, wow that would be actually really cool because then from there you know their experiences and how they live their life would be vastly different because of their um encounter with their own mortality so that's actually mm. pretty cool. 
Hey, again, Hollywood, like you, Leonard, you, you just need to write it. <laughs> yeah. Call me up. I got some really interesting dark ideas. Bring <laughs> bring dark child fantasy back. That is my platform. <laughs> right. You just have to call it by another name. Yeah. 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 Mm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, I'm workshop workshopping it. That's that that <laughs> one's in that one's already in the, the trash bin. <laughs> uh yes that makes a lot more sense than than and then bastion went on to have many adventures Adventure. but that's for after after <laughs> bastion went on to enact many revenge fantasies right <laughs> those are stories for another day and that's kind of, i mean that's what it ends up feeling like <laughs> Um, oh yeah because he's a terrible child and doesn't learn his lesson and some of that is intricately tied into how the wishes work Um, right so it's not just a random memory he loses it's generally it's it's implicitly related to the wish he made so when he's when he wishes oh i wish to be stronger uh or, or have a bigger body or her no yeah it was to be handsome he loses the memory of ever having not been handsome so you can't you can't grow and learn if you if you literally just always think you've been handsome boy right mm. yep or strong lad or just boy that can walk across all the 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 sweetest many colored desert yeah well in uh-huh. Yeah. I, I was just going to. I was just going to say, Bastion wishes to be handsome, and he puts his hands to his face and reveals his new face, and it's just handsome Squidward. <laughs> but he never knows any difference. So he's he, exactly well, he, he. He would match um, Atreyu because Atreyu in the book is green. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And yes. in the uh, and in the TV show cartoon. Yeah. Oh, and oh, and yeah, that's a... right. He was. I never yeah. watched that, but I remember being like, "Why is he green?" Well, because he was green in the book originally, and he was hunting a purple buffalo. So, I mean, like, just colors because reasons, because children. I mean, like, you know, children arbitrarily mm. color things. If you just like, give them crayons and stuff, they'll color whatever. They're not going to go for realism, you know. So, <laughs> but um, actually, fun fact about that: there were fifty thousand boys uh, auditioning for the role of Atreyu for the movie. And um, mm. Noah Hathaway had to audition at least 10 times because there was another director attached to the movie before um, the actual director, Wolfgang Peterson, got it. And so he ended up having to audition several times. And ultimately, it was because he's half Native American that he became Atreyu, is basically because mm. he looks like, you know, oh, hey, he looks ethnic. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's great. Mm. So so that's why. Because they decide originally they were going to actually give Atreyu green skin, but then they decided against that because that was just like a little bit too weird for the, the media at the time. They wanted to have the mm. main protagonist look, you know, like a human boy. So, you know, other boys watching it would be able to project onto him or something. But if he had green skin, I mean, hell no, they, that can't even happen. Like, <laughs> But um, anyway, what's funny, though, is um, Steven Spielberg had a part editing this movie. Um, the Jap- or German <laughs> version was seven minutes longer than the American version. He cut out some parts of it to make it Believe it or not, a little bit more action focused than the German version was uh, for the American audiences. And if you look 
closely, like you have to freeze the frame. And I totally had to look for an image of this to, to stare at. If you freeze the frame in the ivory tower meeting scene, you will find that there is E.T., Chewbacca, Ewoks, Yoda, C-3PO, Mickey Mouse, and Gumby. (laughs) All of them, all of them are in that meeting scene. They snuck them into their just as like little Easter eggs. So, Um, There's something in that meeting scene that I want to point out, uh, which is my favorite thing about that meeting scene and the the greatest takeaway I got from this movie, which is when, when Atreyu appears... And there's that shot of, um, like, the the childlike empress's attendant looking down at the crowd at Atreyu. There Mm -hmm. is one child in, like, that silver bodysuit that's supposed to make them look like fairies or whatever Mm -hmm. that is not having being in that scene whatsoever. (laughs) I could not take my eyes off of them. They are (laughs) frumpy and frowny and over it and it's the best <laughs> thing in the world i, well, I love it <laughs> reportedly noah hathaway was a pain in the butt to work with as well and so like when they were doing the movie um the kid who played bastion ironically was like you know golden child but like hmm. noah hathaway who played atreyu was fussy and difficult to work with and it was hard for the director to get anything out of him and all of that mess as well um but another another fun fact while I'm talking about that guy, um, he and he currently has like tons of tattoos and stuff, and he was a tattoo artist for a while. And so there are people out there in the world who have the Orin tattooed on them by the guy who played Atreyu, mm-hmm. but he refuses uh-huh. now to do any more of those tattoos because he did like 15 in one week, and he's like, I can't, I can't just no. spend my time <laughs> doing this. I I need to move on with my life. You'll never so. move on with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you're you're never gonna. But oh well. Now you're holding okay. the bucket. Now, now he looks like he's uh, he looks like a dried up rock star now. So you know. Yeah, I actually, I actually did click his wiki, and I was like, oh, that's that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. So that's what happened. Okay. I pulled up. Uh, I, Dave, um, I didn't know if there was section, more actually. you wanted. Okay, yeah, I was gonna say. I, I know you're probably still gonna mention some more stuff about the book, despite my uh, tangent there. It's fine because this is this is uh, a lead. So this is um, another. Well, this is after the movie ends because the book we know just keeps going. There's a lot more going yeah, on, yeah, and they yeah. they cut all this out of any other media, which is a shame because this is probably the coolest thing ever. So this is um, uh, Bastion has made it to, or he's now stuck technically in um, Fantastica because he's. He's charged with, like, rebuilding all of it through his wishes, which is a great idea. Mm-hmm. And um, his first thing is to create this sweet, never-ending forest, uh, which eventually decays into um, a, a desert of death. And the the monarch of this desert is uh, Grogramon, the many-colored death, which is the best name in the world. Mm. <laughs> and he is yes. a lion that changes colors and is on fire <gasps> so yep. that's always good um but grogramon uh ends up like professing fealty toward bastion because bastion's the only one that like can talk to him because if you're in anywhere near grogramon you just immediately die 
You turn to sand, yeah. as a matter of fact. That is where the yeah. sand comes from. He sucks the life out of everything around him and turns it all into different colored sand, which is what causes Goab, the desert of colors, to be formed. And then um, at night, he turns to stone, and that causes Perilin, the night forest, to bloom. And so every night it turns mm. into a forest, and every day it, it, everything gets dried back up again into a desert. So it's pretty cool. But yeah, Bastion's the only person who can talk to him because of the power of Arin that protects him from the effects of Grogaman's uh, presence. Yeah. So they're they're here. They're discussing um, the wishes because it's important to know what you're doing with the wishes and like kind of it's not really how it works, but it's it's some sort of rules. Um, so. This is Grogramon. Uh, without a genuine wish, you have to wander around until you know what you really want, and that can take a long time. Um, and then Bastion's like, because he's looking for a way to get to to get into the rest of um, Fantasia because he's stuck in this giant forest. Um, and here's Bastion uh, pondered a little while, then he said, "It seems strange. We can't just wish what we please. Where do our wishes come from? What is a wish anyway?" Grogramon gave the boy a long, earnest look, but made no answer. Eventually, they had another conversation, and um, he's he's showing Grogramon the um, the Oren, which on the on the back side of it, um, there's an inscription that's saying that just literally says "Do what you wish." And here's uh, uh well, he just continues. Uh, that must mean I can do anything I feel like, don't you think so? All at once, Grogramon's face looked alarmingly grave, and his eyes glowed. No, it means that you must do—you uh, must do what you really and truly want, and nothing is more difficult. What I really and truly want? What do you mean by that? It's your own deepest secret, and you yourself don't know it. How can I find out? By going the way of your wishes, from one to another, from first to last, it will take you to what you really and truly want. That doesn't sound so hard, said Bastion. It is the most dangerous of all journeys. And then it, it, it goes on from there. But so basically, the you can't just wish willy-nilly. It has to be from the heart to so you've learned your lesson. Um, and he just really doesn't do that. <laughs> or he does, like, eventually. But it, it, it doesn't provide any kind of, like growth for bastion and in the process just jacks everything up so yeah good on you bastion and then good on fantastic ever <laughs> making this the method of like recreating yourself mm. <laughs> i wish the ivory tower was surrounded by yarna boop <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh whoa, this is bad oh i didn't think this through <laughs> Uh, uh it, nope, nope, Amidala, you need to get, go down there, that's where you live, not up here. Oh, that's the crossover that I want. I want somebody to draw the ivory tower with an Amidala hanging off it. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I will say about um, the never-ending story critters in particularly, there's so many critters in this book that are cool that I wish I knew more about. Like, uh, the rock biters in general are fun because, like, uh, the main rock biter dude, on his, you know how he's riding that steamroller-looking bicycle thing to go see the, the childlike empress? He eats it in the book. 
because he gets hungry and needs a snack on the way. And so he just eats it. And it's hilarious to me. Like, it's, it's just like a throwaway detail about something that happened. But I just died laughing. And I was just like, okay, that that's pretty great. Um, and then, like, the night hobs. The, like, it's so weird because one of the things that the movie is very faithful to, with the exception of Atreyu not having the right colored skin, is that the critters are all critters from the book. Like, the the heads that are on legs that are in that ivory tower scene and the three face things that have the faces that turn and, like, different expressions come forward and the tiny and all of that. Like, all of those things are very faithfully um, portrayed as from how they're described in the book. Uh, the night hobs look really cool to me and, you know, all these other critters look really cool. And it's just so weird because you don't get very much of them in the book or the movie. Uh, and then they're just like set aside. And I really wish that I had more stuff. Like in the book, it says something like the, the night hob, the tiny, the rock biter and the will of the wisp, which never even made it to the movie. Um, all ended up being friends and having adventures, but that's a story for another time and it'll be told some other time never. and is never told of course but like that would have been the fun story for me would be to see the night hob tiny rockbiter and will o the wisp doing i don't know like shenanigans you know that would have been fun for me but you know like those those critters are a lot more interesting um you know to me than the hey look he looks pretty much like a human but he's supposed to be a fantastic and main character dude with the child molester dragon going off to try to save the world you know like and the the trolls the trolls with the half missing bodies um those are cool and those didn't make it into anything um and those would have been a lot better than the bark troll that you got in the animated series so <laughs> and there's connective tissue uh not only did like eager mold and many that scene sets up the meeting between atreyu and falcor like in a a non deus ex machina fashion like it gives a reason for them to meet it gives a reason and a arguably like hand wavy um transport system that gets them to uh the southern oracle in the movie they just showed up there he just flew there yeah, uh, yeah. atreyu woke up and he was like a mm. couple of miles away from it and I was just like, yeah. oh, yeah, there we go. That's yeah, he's like, the, yeah. I, I flew you the 99.8 thousand mile, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but in the in the book, um, when you're, that's why it's a little hand wavy. So if you're if you're bitten by Ygromol the Mini, you're, you're injected with poison and that paralyzes you. Uh, but the secret behind Igromold's power is that the poison also acts as like a temporary, um, one-time transport wish. So if you imagine you need to be somewhere else, you'll, you'll get that one wish and then you'll die because you're poisoned. Uh. Yeah, because the, the, the poison takes effect within one hour. So the thing that, the lucky part about it is that, um... Atreyu allows himself to get bitten by Ygromol the Many. Falcor's already been bitten by Ygromol the Many, but he overhears this conversation, right? So uh, Atreyu allows himself to get bitten. He wishes himself to where the Southern Oracle is, and then Falcor follows him. And then he says, you saved me. And Atreyu's like, well, you did the wishing, bro, you know? And, um, you know, Falcor's like, yeah, but I wouldn't have known how to do it if you didn't talk to 
Yigrumul the many beforehand, and um, they get re- you know like healed by the gnomes and Yuwook and Urgul, and that's why um, you know like they're able to withstand the poison or whatever at that point. But that's also how they managed to get that ridiculous distance. It wasn't Falcor's just that badass and just flew there. No, he didn't. Mm. <laughs> yeah, they have the sweet death teleportation. Yeah. So did. It- Anyone else rewatching this movie get like a very weird feeling that this movie felt somewhat incomplete in the hope that people would actually just go read the book afterwards? It's, it it's felt incomplete, but it felt incomplete. It, it, yeah, it felt incomplete, but it felt incomplete because they just didn't have the budget or the time to fit everything in. And that's actually what the um, director said about it when Michael Enda had his bad reaction to it. Wolfgang Peterson was like, well, we just didn't have the budget or the time or the technical effects to do Yigrumul the many at that point. Or do some, you know, like the wind giants and all that crap and have all that in there and, and whatever. So, like, you know, they they were uh, limited by the, the types of effects and animations they could do at the time. The budget, which was already really, really high. But, I mean, like, it took them two months to do the Swamps of Sadness. I mean, right. you know, like, there, there were a lot of um, production delays that actually took, I want to say it was like six months longer than what they anticipated to get this movie made in the first place and that means they had to pay everybody and you know like rent out all the the stuff i mean it ended up becoming a bigger ordeal than they thought to record it in the first place so the reason why it's it definitely does feel incomplete but part of the reason for that is just because of um you know like the real life issues of production I would have liked it better if it made me feel like I needed to go read the book, but actually it just made me feel like, man, that this is just not a good adaptation. <laughs> so Yeah. 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 I walked away from that. I walked away from and you know, not not like, man, into the trash with you never ending story. It was just like, ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I guess my spotty memory of this movie isn't actually spotty and that I just yeah. excise most of it because there's a whole lot of nothing going on. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because I was just it like, makes... <laughs> uh, oh, I was just like, oh, 90, 95 minutes? Really? Really? That's it? I'm like, oh, man, these movies seemed longer. Movies yes. seemed longer back then. When I yes, was smaller, it did. Smaller, smaller, smaller. <laughs> well, definitely. And I, once I re- once I rewatched it, I was like, "Wow, it makes a lot of sense why I've kept on falling asleep in this movie now." <laughs> like, yeah. I, I don't feel bad. I don't feel bad about like little Jala. Like I, I wasn't, you know, narcoleptic or anything. It's just literally this movie. It the pacing and like the weird skipping and just how spotty anything happening was. It was just real weird. I don't know. Hmm. So. We'll spend um, just a moment to talk about the weird prison school that he goes to. Oh, oh my god, god that yeah. school was so weird. And the thing is, is that uh, when I was watching the movie, I was like, this is some crazy school. And then I went and I read the book and I'm like, it's literally it's, set, you know, it's literally <laughs> described exactly like this in the book. This is actually faithfully yeah, represented. Yeah, they, they, what they the hell? Really good on that, but you don't know because it's the weirdest, like, disjointed 
here's the attic of the school that's in some other dimension. You're like, what is this? Right. But that's just how it, like, it's, it's down to every, like, the set pieces, all the little, the, yeah. um, the stuffed things and the props and all the stuff that's jammed oh, in the yeah. attic, like, are lovingly recreated. They did a really good job of that. Well, and the thing about the stuffed things in the attic is that in the second half of the book, there is a point where Bastian decides, oh, I need to be really wise. I'm going to wish to be the, the most, you know, the wisest person in the land. And so he becomes the great knower, which I, I died when I read that. I'm like, what? Um, but anyway, he then goes to see like uh, these four wise people and all of them are human looking except for their heads. And their heads are like an eagle and an owl and... Um, a fox and all of these things are things that are in the attic as well and so um, at one point Bastion like the the question that these wise critters have for Bastion the great knower is what is Fantastica and then he says well it's a never-ending story well if it's a never-ending story where is the story and then he says it's in this book and then they say, well, if it's in this book, well, where is this book? And he says, in the attic of a school. And they're like, help us understand. Can you show us? And Bastian um, pulls out some magic item that he had that shows them a flash for just a moment um, on the the sky above them of the, the basically surroundings of the attic where Bastian is reading the never-ending story. And so then they were like, oh... I see myself because there was that owl face. I see myself because there was this, you know, and they, they see themselves in the attic because there's these stuffed critters coincidentally around Bastion in that attic. So anyway, there was like a callback to that in a later part of the like book of, of those little stuffed things that were described that were actually placed into the movie. So that's why I'm like, the weird thing about the movie is that it pays a lot of attention to stuff, like visual stuff, without paying attention to the point of the story. And that's the thing that just throws me off. It's like you focused on recreating very faithfully, you know, something that is nice, that's cool, that's good to see these things um, on screen. However, that's not what you should have been paying attention to. And the the weird thing is, is that Michael Enda, the author, actually was working with the studio on the screenplay itself. But when the movie came out, he was just like, what is this crap? I mean, like, so I don't know how much they changed it from the original where the actual author was helping with it. But, you know, um, yeah, that, that's, it's very weird. Very weird. I don't. I don't know what happened. Yeah. There. Well, I think a lot of things were re, were rewritten um, for budget reasons. The, the article that I found yeah. um, talking about uh, Michael Enda and his his uh, litigation was he was specifically upset with the screenwriter because that's who he'd been working with, and he's like, "What did you mm-hmm. do to the script? <laughs> like that that I had yeah. helped you write? It okay. was good, and then you did this thing." Yeah. So apparently, okay. that's uh, we didn't have the money, and this is what you get. Uh, gotcha, gotcha. I I do want I do want to say that um the uh the school is is um actually fairly accurate to a lot of the schools that I attended as a child. <laughs> wow! All right. Um, I didn't I didn't attend. I only attended one school that was multi level, but like that addicts. Like the attic and like all the storerooms that I had been in 
uh, as a child at like my various schools were kind of almost exactly the same kind of space. So like, there's a part of it. Like (laughs) when we got to the school part, I was like, yeah, yeah, this rings true. This is, this is what I came to never ending story for to remember exactly what my schools were like as, as a child. (laughs) Wow. Well, that's interesting because, you know, like I said, I mean, for my my personal experience, you know, most of my schools when I was growing up, um, I lived in a ghetto. And um, so the the places that I went to school were very small, overcrowded. There were a lot of portable buildings, like half the field was taken over with portable buildings to add more classrooms because there was just nowhere to put everybody and they didn't have money to rebuild the school. Um, there was definitely no attic. There was no fucking storage anywhere <laughs> because it was all made into a classroom. So <laughs> like, I don't know, like there, there wasn't, there weren't um, plays with, anything like there were there wasn't anything to store <laughs> so there yeah, wasn't a place to yeah. store it you know like that's <laughs> that like there might have been a cubby for some cleaning materials i'm not sure yeah you know yeah. so you didn't have a principal with a taxidermy uh, oh no de- no degrees that, just not using <laughs> yeah right because <laughs> that that was some left i was just like that is mm, okay mm. all right this yep, is yep. Yep, the one spooky skeleton that just hangs out up there. Oh yeah, 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 oh, yeah. That that was that was very. I was I was I was the best little boy in the world, so I always got to help the the teachers. And yeah, that was what like all the store areas in like science like science class and and like everything just kind of looked like that. And I'm like, ah, that's fairly accurate. Thanks, movie. Thanks for that. <laughs> for remember, you know, making me remember, you know, exactly how my childhood, you know, grade school years were. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I think that's exactly that. That's even funnier. Um, the the elementary school I went to was on a military installation, so the classrooms were they weren't converted barracks, but they could help very well have been. Right. Uh, so it's just single single level and like. The basically everything was built sort of it's like sets of H's and then each H had like the 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 legs or whatever of the H uh, were four classrooms and then it's just connected by like the one hall um, and then there would be like different um, I think each grade had its own like building like that so uh, that was my frame of reference for any kind of school and I was watching this movie and and of course many many other ones with the specific frame of oh that's like an american school <laughs> like that's what, yeah. that's, that's, that's what it's like it's like this um so that was definitely like part of eventual culture shock um going back to the states later and then just like that's oh this is mm-hmm. not like the movies and why does everyone look like they're 12 years old but <laughs> that's the, the fun of casting 30 or 30 year olds for uh high schoolers for <laughs> movies yeah <laughs> Mm. Yeah. Well, so so a question I do have for everybody is um as related to Neverending Story as a property generally speaking, um what is the thing that you actually like is the is there a something in here that you like about it that you wish you could see more of? 
uh, specifically the first movie? Whatever. Um, the property overall, if you oh, okay. like something from Perfect. the book, if you like something from anything. I, I demand uh, more Evil Claw Castle. I specifically, <laughs> I do actually specifically remember um, drawing the e very obviously evil Claw Castle from the NeverEnding Story 2 as a child. I'm like, oh, that's a cool design. I'm just going to draw that repeatedly <laughs> i i demand yeah. more of that more of that oh and i also really like the i i want more i want more <laughs> i'm sure it's an invention purely for the movie but i actually do like the overall look of the uh memory removal machine from the second film i i think that that thing looks real neat um mm. uh, <laughs> but weird um, gumball machine if it's <laughs> specifically about the characters i i think i just want more of 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 fantastica like um divorce it from from bastion and just tell me yes. about this world and the the entities that live in it i think that 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 would work yeah mm. Yeah. And there was in, um, you know, like, like I said, in German, there was Legends of Fantastica, uh, six novels that were published over in Germany that have totally different storylines that take little tidbits from the plot or the characters. And I don't know if those were just straight up, here's literally just stories about Fantasticans not related to Bastion or what those were. Unfortunately, um, I, we could not find any kind of translations for those. So uh, we will, uh, at least I, I will never know. <laughs> I will never know because I do not speak uh, German. So. Oh man. Wouldn't it be great if one of those, one of those book, one of those books were just like teensy, eensy, the rock fighter, the night hog, <laughs> the willow wisp, like planning Bastion's assassination. Oh like, dude, that would be so <laughs> awesome. <laughs> man, I want to, Again, yeah, again, like, like mm. oh, he's such a tyrant. He's so intolerable. We do we okay. Need to so, so Leonard, what you're telling me is that we just need to subscribe to you on Patreon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, you know what? Apparently, I've got a, I've got a real knack for, for just uh, injecting just the right amount of just conceptual horror and intrigue into <laughs> a nice child children's property <laughs> just like oh man um my gritty reboot of care bears will be appearing <laughs> real soon. i would like to hear this okay <laughs> not not right now but we will have to have discussion I'm, I'm about this a, uh, <laughs> new song and dance number by professor cold Hart, please <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, um, okay, oh, so. uh, okay sidetrack mm -hmm. just one quick thing that second characters movie i i man i really want a nice like current day cg um evil book with face in the pages just like, mm, like yeah give new nightmares uh, and just have it <laughs> like have have julianne moore player just have Julianne Moore's face in a book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, man. That would be good. <laughs> mm. 
Uh, but yeah, no. Uh, everyone else, I'm done. I'm I'm not. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done with my answer. All right. Okay. Cameron, before you so fall Cameron, asleep. So Cameron, how about you? Yeah, right no, now no, you the, can fall asleep. It's fine. Bolt kicked in, so I'm good now. <laughs> yeah. Cameron, I know uh, you have many, many traumas. Is there anything that oh. you would, you know, save or, or rejuvenate from from the property overall? Um, absolutely. Uh, th- this this gave me many traumas. <coughs> it also gave me one thing which has stood firm throughout my adult life, which is I fucking love werewolves. Give me more of that Gamork puppet because the design of just too many fangs and slightly too human eyes, I think, is a perfect, more bestial werewolf. Give me Gamork doing cool stuff as he goes out into the actual human world and messes with stuff and then comes back into Fantastica and messes with even more stuff. I would love that. Well, and the thing about it is Gamorg is actually one of the most interesting characters. Like, I say that the Rockbiter is my mm-hmm. MVP, but that's just because that's a character I can relate to or have empathy for. But yeah. Gamorg himself as a character is probably the most interesting character because he has the most dimension to him in either the book mm-hmm. or the movie. Uh, either one of those things. <laughs> Gamorg actually is, like, the one that has a, a, mo- a lot more going on. Um, and a lot more intentionality to what he's doing than literally anybody else, which most every other character seems to be pretty much unconscious, you know? Yeah. Um, I, kind I, of on autopilot. I do have to say that that there are there were two uh, Gamork uh, uh, sequences, uh, and they're basically the same shot, that uh, made me laugh out loud for like three minutes straight every single time it happened, and it's when he leaves the cave, and it's just clearly like they're firing this puppet out of a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, gun. yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> and I'm just like, <laughs> I can't, I can't handle that. And because every yeah. single time I see it, I'm just like, there's a t. Like it, I'm just like, I'm looking at this from a production standpoint, and I'm like, that puppet's in a t-shirt gun. That puppet's in a t-shirt yeah. gun. <laughs> yep. Boop. And I'm just like, oh man. I'm like, I'm like, that's like a Saints Row weapon. Right? <laughs> a gun that fires Oh my at god. People. A werewolf cannon? <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, instead of like a dildo that you can attack people with, like you can in uh, whatever yeah. whatever that was. Uh, it Here, let's just shoot so Gamork at people. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> yeah, it's a werewolf cannon yeah, for sure. Yeah, the werewolf cannon is a good title. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So... So is that the the main thing that you would take away? You would take that, away. That's more about away. all I would take away okay. out of that. Um, maybe maybe more dragons with terrible meta breaking powers, as opposed to just being big lizards, would be cool. But I don't want to see Falcor ever again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so he only gets more beautiful with each incarnation. Uh, does he? He gets. Yeah, he, no, he does. Don't look at number he three. Does. Don't. No. Don't. Mm. Don't. It's terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> I'll take your word for that and save myself. Yes, please save. You will have nightmares all over again. It does not matter how many years it's been. It will be bad. Don't go. (laughs) So, Dave, how about you? What would you uh, rescue from the never-ending story? Well, what I would like to rescue are all the unfinished stories that just, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I need well, them all the ones that they actually you. were interesting. Sound, I mean, they could be anything. There's so much potential, but it dropped oh. all the fun characters and just like 
turned into dust. Well, hey, the thing is, is that at the end of the book, Atreyu is cursed to continue all of the stories that Bastion started and to finish them. So that oh, means God. that Atreyu is basically the new old man of Wandering Mountain and has to go <laughs> and finish the story of every other character that was cool that got left out. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it literally Ooh, puts him in that position when um, Bastion is trying to become the childlike emperor. Yeah. Hmm. yep so yeah that that's definitely that would probably be my answer as well is literally like any of the stuff that was just like oh you know like we'll talk about that later but it was really cool you know like, no i i very specifically <laughs> i want more of the critters i want more of the yeah. rock biter the night hob the tiny like i want to hear their stories and and whatever happened to them when they all banded together i mean like we already have leonard's version where they all plan to assassinate bastion and that's cool i mean like i let's go with that i mean seriously i want to read that story somebody write that story fanfiction.net i'm i'm looking at you like no nah, i'm sure it's somebody on fanfiction.net never ending it, but, valkyrie yeah right right <laughs> so yeah i definitely want more of those critters though because um michael enda definitely um has a knack for creating things that feel um, unique enough from folklore they they are reminiscent of folklore but w without being exactly the same as that folklore that it derives from um, so familiar in some ways but at the same time um, with enough new material to make it uh, really spark your interest and kind of you know make it more curious and um, allow a little bit more dimension for those critters so you know like mm. that's what i would like to see more of would be again like more of those critters um not necessarily every single story that was left off but mostly the you know some of these critters like grogramon i want to know more about grogramon i want to know more about uh you know that band of of missionary people that went to go um you know, go to the childlike empress and, and some of these other things. I want to know about the culture of the wise men in their weird tower where they're trying to, you know, um, you know, like this monastic order that that's going on, you know, trying to discover all of the truths of Fantastica and, you know, like if Falcor's a luck dragon and, you know, there's multiple luck dragons, where are the rest of them and what are they doing? Mm. <laughs> what, yeah. you know, what, what's happening with any, any other one? And like, are, are, like, they're not the only dragons no. because there was a dragon, I think it was Smurg, that was made yeah. by Bastion for a hero, which of course is like, you know, yeah. Um, a more traditional dragon, if you will. He at that was point. A, a, but, a puffy boy. <laughs> Because he made it into yeah. the second movie. <laughs> yeah, so, um, but you know, like, the, I want, uh, what I also want is more of Yigrumul the Many. I want to know more about Yigrumul. And, mm. you know, is Yigrumul the Many like the only such critter, or are there more of those? I mean, uh, Yigrumul definitely gave me some Shilob vibes. Yeah. And yeah. that was really cool. Um, and just that whole setting, I really wish I could see that illustrated, um, you know, it cinematically you know but that unfortunately did not get into the movie so. yeah and what um so with Igramol in 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 particular and it was like driving me crazy because i couldn't place it which is really silly because we literally just watched the dark crystal tv series and it's it's yep. that idea 
Yes. The, what, the, Mm. was it the Ascendancy? Yes, Ascendancy. So it's like individual bugs that form a big face. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, yes, somebody said, hey, we need to make the helping hands from Labyrinth creepier. Make the hand spiders. (laughs) And somebody said, (laughs) good job. What's your name? (laughs) Lovecraft. Good job, Lovecraft. Yep. Yeah. Well, definitely this this is pulling from a lot of ideas that were already existing. I mean, like there's even a point in the book that I thought was funny where they mention a human that had come to Fantastica at one point called Shakespeare. <laughs> and it was supposed to be Shakespeare, you know, who who oh, did some kind of story or something. Anyway, like there there was a thing that they did and they they you know, he even threw in there that Shakespeare had shown up in Fantastica at some point. So <laughs> um yeah. I, I was I was just thinking about about this, but I really like the idea of of all the unfinished story threads, like as a mm. visual representation of their unfinished and a tray who has to go finish them, is that he goes to whatever location the story just ended at and everything's just frozen stasis until he restarts the story again. Just pockets of of fantastica that are frozen in time because they're unfinished stories waiting to be completed that would be cool that that's it that's all i've got (laughs) everybody's looking at me it's too much pressure (laughs) yeah we're all staring and waiting we're waiting. I came up with All werewolf cannon. That's the only yeah. thing. Yeah. That's, that's my only, really. only contribution to this episode. Yigrimol the many. We are all staring at you with our many, many eyes. <laughs> yes. Too many eyes. But yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's about all that I I personally have about this. The unfortunate thing is, again, because of that litigation, uh, the, basically this property is never going to be remade. It's never going to be, mm. like, unless they can somehow work out all of the the stuff with that. Although Michael Endup was so upset about, you know, the adaptations that did occur, you know, that I don't know that um, anytime soon it would be uh, yeah. untied from its legal his, bonds. His ghost is too powerful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's it's still been adapted for the stage. It was adapted for stage in 2012 in Australia, and in 20, God, 2004, of we did. <laughs> in 2004, it was made into a stage play, ballet, and opera in Germany, and then also it was adapted to stage for the Stratford Festival in Canada for 2019 season. So even recently, as, as so much, so recently as last year people were adapting this for stage so it's still being messed with even today uh even though a larger cinematic work is probably not going to be a thing i would even really like a video game based on this that was like actually based on you know some of the the cooler set pieces because some of these set pieces would Mm. be a lot of fun to interact with Mm, or even the, not that the, we're going to get ones, that, but it would no. be neat. <laughs> I, I, I took the time to at least watch several minutes of the um, Oren quest. It was pretty bad. That was like a platformer from yeah. Germany, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and the um, the Commodore sixty four um, text venture. I, I I tried to sit through some of that. <laughs> it's basically that was fairly 
faithful aside from being very short. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also a text venture, so it's it was kind of like trying to read Zork or something where it's a little bit boring. Yeah. I I like to imagine that uh that 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 you will you would get your wish, Jala, but uh because of the anti luck dragon that fall that's that's stalking you, it's just a an adventure where you play as Bastion and all you can do is pout and and be petulant and Oh, actually, a sim management <laughs> game would actually make more sense under those rules as, like, pouty fashion video game adaptation of the never-ending story. <laughs> well, it just kind of makes me think of Frodo from, like, the first half of the Lord of the Rings movies, where he's just like, Aragorn! Sam! Somebody save me! I'm useless. So, you know, pretty much. Because, like, um, Elijah Wood has those big, big eyes, and he just mm. has that very, very distressed look on his face. And he, like, he would have to be my, my canon Bastion face. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, Elijah Wood gained 50 pounds for the role, for the role of yeah, a right. young child Bastion <laughs> yeah, in the remake of the never-ending story. <laughs> Actually, that sounds like something that Elijah Wood, current day Elijah Wood, would be down for. Right, exactly. (laughs) I think I've been very happy with everything that he's done in the last few years. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He's he's been he's been doing some. Oh man, that's what I want. I've just decided. I thank you, thank you so much. I have just decided what my new perfect fashion is. It is it is a fifty fifty pounds heavier Elijah Wood playing a twelve year old. (laughs) <laughs> he could do it. He has the range. That uh, that yeah, he has the range. I think he could pull it off. I mean, you know, just shave his little mustache. Um, and so like, <laughs> so so what's hilarious is that um, this is a total aside about Elijah Wood, but I'll, I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. So um, there is a, another podcast that I listen to called My Dad Wrote a Porno. If you've never heard it before, it is literally a guy in the UK with a, um, a gay male friend and then like a lady friend of his that reads. They, they together will read a story that the main guy's father wrote. It's a terrible, terrible porn that is like poorly written and everything. Like I have a copy of, um, the first book that he wrote. Um, boy, typos and grammatical stuff and punctuation is all out the window. Um, but it's, it's hilarious to listen to. Um, and it became such a big popular thing that Elijah Wood and several other famous people started listening in on the podcast. And Elijah Wood guested on one of the episodes at one point talking about uh, Belinda Blinked, which is the name of the book, and all this other stuff. Because, you know, um, they, they were also talking about, like, if this was adapted for, like, the cinema, what character would you play? And that was just a hilarious episode. So even if you don't know anything about... My dad wrote a porno overall. You should look for that one episode where Elijah Wood's on there talking about it because that is just <laughs> hilarious. And like if he would literally play the part, I think, of, you know, whatever character he decided he wanted to play. But anyway, uh, more weird Elijah Wood. <laughs> so I think he's doing pretty good for uh, himself. So 
<laughs> I, and 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 now I've just morphed the idea of like have Elijah Wood play Bastion to have Elijah Wood play every character. Yeah, I, I was just saying that. Why not? I mean, dude, including he can do the it. childlike Empress. I want that. He could do it. He could do it. I, it's fine. I'm I'm gonna need uh, to I'm gonna need to have Nicolas Cage in there too. Uh, oh yeah. my god! Oh. <laughs> Why oh, not? Yeah. We and, should and, do this. And the voice of the Rockbiter is Nicolas Cage. Oh my god! Well, they only if they actually use his face for like the animation of the Rockbiter. <laughs> he's mo- he's mocapped. Oh, oh yes, he needs to be the mocap guy for that. Oz. No, no, I want them to go the I want them to go the return to Oz route and had just put a bunch of prosthetics on Nicolas Cage. <laughs> Why not? Wait, that that would work too. So it doesn't all have to be high tech. Makeup art is amazing these days. They can do it. It'll add that, it'll add that charm. Nope, that was nope, that, <laughs> that was Nicholas Cage. That was not a Nicholas Cage. I don't know who what spirit I called up from from the pit <laughs> for that voice. Man, I woo. Okay. You, you used up now all your power summoning Jala. Turn, this this podcast <laughs> turned into a Blumhouse movie for just a second. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I've got nothing else. I can't summon I, forth Nicolas Cage. So. No. Yes, we have summoned forth the nothing, though. Oh yeah, there yeah. is nothing. It's, there is nothing. We are being we are being, being, being lemming lemminged into the void. Yeah. But yeah, I think my my overall takeaway is, man, it's a shame that this the the film rights are in such tight litigation. But because yeah. this one is definitely one that could do and and this has been a theme with like a lot of these older movies that we've been reviewing which is just give it a longer runtime give it some more money and with like today's technology and actors you could probably do a better adaptation well not probably you could do a better adaptation that is more faithful to the book and is more of a film um because yeah, yeah the, it's disjointed nature is really the biggest issue that I had rewatching the ne- Neverending Story. Because once again, I think the film's beautiful to look look at, but that there's not a lot else other than that, other than a couple of scenes where characters actually get to have some characterization. So. Definitely. And that's that's the main thing. The the very first thing I said about this is it has weird pacing issues. It has like, you know, this weird disjointed feeling to it. Um, it, it definitely, I, I don't know, it kind of straddles this weird place of trying too hard to be faithful to the book without taking into consideration the cinematic you know, uh, medium that they're trying to do, you know, mm-hmm. create this adaptation in. Like they're not adapting it to film they're just kind of making a visual for the book, but then they didn't even do that all the way. So, you know, it just kind of falls short in a lot of ways just because of what they were doing. They were um, just not taking, they, they were not taking liberties in the ways that they needed to be taking liberties in order to adapt this properly to make it into a good, well-paced, uh, well-realized film and, you know, also faithful to the original idea of the book. 
So I don't know if that's because maybe the author should not have been involved in the script writing, uh, or maybe the author should have been involved in the script writing, but educated about how cinema works. Um, I'm not really sure on that, but um, I think it's probably, it just feels like they, they were trying to be too faithful to the book while also not being faithful to the book. And there was just something lost somewhere in there because they just kind of like missed what medium they were working in. At least that's how it feels to me. Like, it looks like, to me, it feels like they were visually trying to make it cinematic without actually transforming the way that it was shot or the plot, how the plot was moved, progressed. Um, None of that was worked on, you know, in a a movie-like fashion. So, you know, it's it's kind of half a film and half a, a visual for the book. Th- that's that's also the other thing of discovering that the 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 first film isn't the complete book, um which, you know, mm-hmm. it, like looking back on it now and rewatching it, I'm like, "Oh yeah, of course this is isn't an an, uh, an entire story. There's almost <laughs> no res- like actual resolution." <laughs> to mm-hmm. anything other than then here's a grain of sand start making wishes and bringing everything back um and also here mm. revenge fantasy um right. but but um yeah like if they could just remake this and actually have it be a a, a complete story a complete never-ending mm-hmm. story then uh then i think that that would be best for all like this property in all of its various forms. If they extended it by like, I don't know, um, even have like half an hour, make it a two hour <coughs> movie and done some really wise editing. They could have, and they could have adjusted the pacing and crammed more story in there. And they would have skipped a lot of parts, but they would have still gotten the essence of what was happening. If they had, you know, paste it right and done whatever. Cause there's a lot of, of montages yeah. and there's a lot of scenes where it takes a lot more time than it really needs to take. Like they, they hover on some bits that don't need to be hovered on for quite so long. Um, especially for today's audiences. I think that that holds very true. Like they could pick it up, pick up the pace a little bit and um, make this work a little bit better if they were to remake it now, not that they will, but if they were, Yeah, just just by virtue of it being like a ninety, barely a ninety minute movie, there's there's mm-hmm. time that they could have just used more effectively if you're like remaking mm-hmm. this. And um, I don't know, it could have made this into like a three part film, some sort of trilogy. That wait, no, they tried that. <laughs> the the <laughs> issue with part. that was being that there were so many years in between when they yeah. were filming it. Although um, the actor for um, the bookseller uh, is the same in the first two movies, which is surprising. But that's the, 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 yes. like the one holdover from the first movie. Well, the ninety-minute movie that they made covered half the book, yeah. and it covered it comfortably. And they could have done a lot more to make it make it you know improve it. They could have added those scenes in. Not you know, not that they could have at that time because budget. We've already discussed that. But like these days, if it were to be remade, they could definitely fit two 90 minute movies and make the entire story like they don't need to draw it out and make it a lord of the rings trilogy type of here's 70 hours worth of a movie for you that you don't need to do that but like it could have done two solid 
shorter movies and been fine. Yeah, that would have given the arc. Um, so if you combine what the first and second movie does, uh, it, it completes like Bastion's tale. Like that's him going back to the human world. It's a little yeah. truncated, but they, they, I think they could have fused those a little better. Yeah. But I mean, that's, I, it's, uh, unfortunately it's neither here nor there. Um, it's a done, yeah. a done deal. Um, maybe it'll pop up in, who knows? Maybe the, um, the play adaptations are what this needed. Maybe those are fairly well done. I know the HBO series, um, both that and the animated cartoon, um, they, they have more runtime. There's more episodes, more time to like flesh things out. But they're, uh, the animated one for sure is episodic in nature. Um, it's not one; it's just a bunch of little mini stories, uh, and it um, they they do their own divergences. So it's not really even covering. It's just that idea of more further adventures in Fantasia for people that loved the kids that loved the the thing, um, and now you can be haunted by Bark Troll instead. <laughs> Yeah, I did not have a, an opportunity to see if there was any kind of a recording of the stage play. That's not something I, I didn't honestly even think about it when I was looking through everything. I was like, oh, there was a stage play at some festival. Cool. Um, you know, since I, I I didn't even think to go, let me YouTube that. But um, that might be possibly a, a way in which they were able to uh, fit a little bit more in there. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a it's a, a franchise and a, a media beloved enough that they've tried to do or have done multiple adaptations of it. Um, it's nice to see that they are divergent in their own ways. Like that, you can tell that there's there's a there's something good in the source material. The book has seeds of good things, and then it kind of it drops the ball here and there, uh, and they took those core ideas and ran with them as best they could is what it looks like for the other adaptations. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're there, they're there to enjoy, uh, maybe use that term a little bit loosely, um, in some of the cases, but, um, it's, it's had a fairly yeah. good run for something that was, um, uh, put out in, in the late seventies. Mm hmm. The garbage decade of the 70s, 70s, <laughs> 70s, 70s. <laughs> well, I think that will wrap us up uh, for this episode. Yeah, yeah, I think we are totally we're, wrapped we're, at yes, this point. We, we, yeah. we are wrapped yeah. and we are wrapped. sorted. We're, we're done. Um, <laughs> yes, so that brings us to the bit of um, admin of the show. Tied everything else up very, very neatly. It's a wonderful bow that we've made. Uh <laughs> yes so jala uh we we did mention in the beginning that you are from uh you you co-host another podcast give us a little bit about that just for anyone unfamiliar with um the level yeah where the heck i came from yeah. <laughs> so uh i am on the duckfeed.tv network i am on the level podcast you can find us at thelevelpodcast.com uh, the level is a podcast for people who love video games. So it is just a kind of a general news and information about whatever, what you're playing, 
you know, what you grinded on kind of game. Uh, this week I was talking about Digimon Story Cyber Sleuth and Resident Evil Revelations. Um, also, uh, I will be talking about Dream Daddy on next <laughs> weekend, uh, June 27th and 28th. Um, our network as a whole is doing Duck Fest 2. Uh, it was a live event last year, but because of COVID and other reasons like that, we are unable to do it in person this year. So it's free for everybody to watch. Um, it is going to be a live streaming event where we are going to be doing several of our shows and have a couple of other shows on uh, to guest. And uh, the level is going to be on at... Uh, 5 p.m. Central Time. That's my time zone, so I don't care where you are. You do the math. <laughs> um, on uh, Saturday, so I will be talking about Dream Daddy. Um, that will be a lot of fun. I have not played it yet, so that'll be in a couple of hours here. But um, you can find more information about that. We are raising money for Black Lives Matter-related causes, so very good causes. Um, also, if you miss the stream, you will be able to purchase it um, as like a, a special bundle with 100% of the proceeds going to charities um, for, again, those same racial justice causes. Uh, later on on duckfeed.tv slash duckfest. So that's where you can get more info. Also, it's on my uh, social media. You can find me on social media everywhere at Jalachan, J-A-L-A-C-H-A-N. Well, thank you. I'll put those links in or the relevant links into the notes. Uh, Leonard, how about yourself? Where can we find you? Yes, you can find me mostly on Twitter at Dr. Faust is dead. Uh, it is a grab bag of random thoughts that come to mind whenever I feel like it, because that's what Twitter is, endlessly screaming into the void, <laughs> hoping to find a connection and form a knot of a relationship with another person. And for my lighter content, you can... <laughs> Uh, you can uh, search for me on YouTube at uh, www.youtube.com backslash Dr. Faust is dead, all one word, uh, and uh, watch some of my video essays where I talk about games that I really like, or sometimes I just put out a edited video just to keep my uh, skill sharp. Uh, but yeah, mm. that's where you can find me online, Cameron. Where can people find you online? You can primarily find me on Twitter at night underscore twitten. That's night without a K. Uh, you can follow me for cat photos, uh, furniture assembly photos, Australian politics, world politics, just just general. Oh, it's 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 a year. Um, if you yeah. if you want to be involved in any of that, uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Otherwise, you should probably follow Dave in the show on Twitter. You'll never find us. That's the, <laughs> that's the secret. We're hidden. Always yeah. hidden. Mm. No, you can you can find me on Twitter at sentinut underscore plus. That will be in the notes as always because it's fun to spell. I love to make it challenging. <laughs> the podcast itself is at mon underscore d monster. Or you can find our back episodes at um, monsterdeer.monster. Took me a second to remember that one. We don't ever plug it. But yes, 
that is the show that is the entirety of never ending story we didn't leave any we, we didn't leave anything out um mm. oh of course we did because that's another story to be told at another time because <laughs> this podcast time. does continue <laughs> but not on this podcast <laughs> just not about um, this subject yeah <laughs> yes uh, we we're, we're done with that moving on to something else next time We'll see. Uh, it's been great having you on, Jalo, and we look yes, forward to you. returning guests in the future because here Woo-hoo! there be dragons and zombies. Yay! There's all kinds of things. Yes. Yes. Mm. So yes, it was lovely to have you on. Like it was them. great to chat with everyone once again as we do yeah. on a weekly basis. And we will <laughs> catch y'all later next time. Bye-bye, y'all. Woo! Bye. Bye.